They pretty tough out there, but um, I feel like I can, I can play on the, on the Falcons or something. Yeah, I, I think I can take Matt Ryan's spot. Oh, see, so saying that that Falcons offense will be popping. You at quarterback? Yeah, me at quarterback. My boy Kyle Pitts. We got we we got some new young pieces. You know, we we, we missing Julio, but I think we'll have a good chance with me at quarterback. The 4 o'clock football frenzy is presented by Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans. Call him now at 702-577-2600. Migos? Quavo? All right. Talking Atlanta Falcons football. Uh, well, I hope they'll be up bright and early uh, to watch the Falcons against the Jets. We'll actually get into that game towards the end of the show. Candy's here. It's Cofield. It's frenzy time. Sorry. Extended. Extended a candy. Not for you, but for Ari, who uh, looked like he was like 20 feet from the board. So figured I'd do something so he could get his arm across to hit the crunch crunch. Um, we're going to talk to Stanford Route in just a couple minutes, former Oakland Raider, about this Bears and Raiders game. Get you updated right now, though, on the latest reports on Russell Wilson. Man, if you're 12, what a disappointing night. You lose to a rival in the Rams. You lose Russell Wilson, and it looks like you're losing him for at least a month with tendon damage, maybe requiring surgery, which then could push it out to six to eight weeks, which that means it's time for uh, Gino to get cooking. How'd you like seeing Gino Smith out there? That was a blast from the past for Jets fans. <laughs> Gino. Indeed it was. Yes. Indeed it was. Russell Wilson started the first, let's see if I have this number right, it's, it's more than 240 games of his career. Um, Russell Wilson was basically unstoppable, superhuman for all of that time. Hmm. And I find it really interesting that the Seahawks are saying, well, we're thinking about his long-term health. We're thinking about his long-term future, which suggests to me that somehow hmm. Russell Wilson was going to try to play through this, which probably would not have been a particularly wise idea, considering they said last night he couldn't even throw the ball. Which, by the way, thinking about his long-term future is really nice from the Seahawks because a lot of people think that the Seahawks-Wilson relationship will end after the season. That all that stuff last offseason ain't going away. Greg Olson, who played for Seattle with Russell Wilson last year, said on the Fox broadcast last night that he thinks that if Russell Wilson doesn't feel a stronger commitment to winning and a stronger commitment to modern football, and Greg Olson even brought up all the running, that the Seattle franchise wants to do, that Russell Wilson will say, yeah, you know what? I think I'm done here. Man, I already bet the Titans against the Jaguars. Uh, it doesn't always mean when there's upheaval around a coach and an organization that the team isn't going to bring it. I am really worried for the Jaguars. I'm not really because I bet against them. But uh, the latest, and it's been every day, there's been something with Urban Meyer and this nonsense from last weekend. He's out hanging out at a bar, uh, you know, canoodling uh, with a woman, then lying and lying and lying and lying and lying, just the excuses. And now his wife's out there on social media, and she stepped on, on the uh, the faith pedestal and started pointing at the rest of us like, what about ism? Don't worry about Urban. What about you? So, all right, Shell, thanks. Get off of social media now. It just She just adds to the whole package of incredible hypocrisy that's always been around, or at least recently been around, the Urban Meyer experience. Yeah, what I would say in response to her is we're not here to judge the moral character 
of Urban Meyer. Right. You're here to judge his fitness as a football coach for the Jacksonville Jaguars in the NFL. Right. That's it. That's what yeah. we're talking about here on Sports Radio. <laughs> hey, hey, Shell. So, uh, hey, hey, Shell. Let's let's uh, let's uh, address uh, Candy and I as radio hosts, and if we're doing our job uh, about as normal as you can, are we prepared? Are we are we derailing ourselves and the rest of the team? Because that's all this is about. I'm not worried about like you just said, Candy. And I said that coming out of the gates on Monday. That's for them to work out. Maybe they have an arrangement. Maybe they always had an arrangement. Maybe stuff like this has been going on forever. But in terms of the job, yes, we can judge. Yes, we can. There is no whataboutism. What about your job? Worry about Herb. Not us. Okay? With the finger pointing. What else is there to say about it? I mean, <laughs> you, you look at Urban Meyer's situation and you realize that, you know, the the only thing that saved him at least temporarily, is his contract. And that's going to lead us right back to talking about John Gruden again and whether or not the contracts can ultimately save him from what's come out today. Because I think for Shad Khan, the owner of the Jaguars, he looks at the amount of money he would be paying to Urban Meyer and he wants to kind of see, maybe we can get through this. And the difference between the Jaguars and the Raiders is that nobody expects the Jaguars to be winning right now. So if they keep losing on the field, well, you don't necessarily get to blame it on Urban Meyer losing the team in the locker room. They were losing before that. Uh, the Raiders are 3-1 and one right now. And so before we even deal with the content of John Gruden's racist remarks, if we look at it in terms of the team, we say, okay, well, if John Gruden in some way is losing the locker room, I think it's going to be readily apparent. Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans brings you the 4 o'clock football frenzy. Dial 702-577-2600 now. Home prices have never been higher and interest rates have never been lower. Get your mortgage tune up today by calling 577-2600. You're listening to Cofield & Company on ESPN Las Vegas. It's Friday, time to check in with uh, the defensive side of the ball and the former Raiders, Oakland Raider, Stanford Route is here with us. So let's jump right into it before we start looking at the Bears game. Give me some general thoughts on why you think the Raiders fell short against the Chargers on Monday. Yeah, I think uh, that's just how football goes. You know, like uh, we were able to go ahead and get those victories against the Baltimore Ravens, Steelers, Miami Dolphins, both of those games at home being in overtime. And that's just kind of how the football gods are sometimes. They'll go ahead, they'll give you a reprieve, they'll go ahead and give you a W, and then other games where it just seems like nothing can go right. And that's what I really think Monday night was. That was just basically the rent being due from those two victories they got in, uh, in overtime against the Dolphins and the Ravens. Well, certainly the Raiders' offensive line cannot handle the, the rush, and guys like Bosa gave him a lot of trouble. What do you think of Bosa freaking lighting up Carr, basically calling him soft? I mean, that's that's the thing about players. You know, players are able to see things that everybody else on the field can't see, or should I say everybody that's watching the game from from home can't see. And, I mean, we all know that Joey Bosa is obviously a great player. There's no doubt about that. And when you look at his stats ever since he's entered the league, the type of company that he's in just shows exactly the type of prowess that he is. So whenever players speak, I, I rarely doubt it because there's got to be some validity to it. Otherwise, they wouldn't be saying it. And then when you look at the game and you see how everything just in the first quarter on, all the way second quarter, just did not seem like it was – flowing naturally and the way that they were getting to the backfield at will I'm not surprised at all because like I said you've always noticed it it seems that Derek Carr either is not going to make that 
torrential type of throw. Sometimes it seems like he wants to get the ball out of his hands quickly. And like I said, I love Derek Carr, but for Joey Bolson to say that, there's currently something he sees down there in the trenches that we do not see from the TV screen. So I would go ahead and give it some validity. Is there such a thing with NFL players and NFL locker rooms as bulletin board material? I saw a lot of uh, Bosa better watch out and you know, week 17 when they meet up. Oh, no doubt about it. There's always bulletin board material. But nonetheless, like I said, I would not go and venture to say that the Las Vegas Raiders need a higher level of motivation against Los Angeles Chargers, whether it's Monday Night Football, whether it's when they play uh, down the line at Allegiant Stadium, because if you want to win the division, if you're a competitor, you're going to be able to have enough motivation just off of the fact that you're playing for a championship, a a division championship, AFC championship, things like that. But nonetheless, Whenever somebody calls you out and basically attacks your manhood, saying that you're scary, you're soft, things like that, that does give an extra level of (laughs) go get it on Sunday afternoon. So Raiders are going to face the Bears. Uh, They are beat up first on the cornerback position. They're down to their number three at cornerback, and it also means that, uh, what, Robertson's going to have to play and Hobbs is going to have to play a little bit more outside. Are you worried? And and follow-up with that is – can Justin Fields actually take advantage of it? He better take advantage of it. I'll go ahead and say that. Uh, I am worried to a certain degree just because anytime you're going all the way down to your third string, fourth string guys, I mean, absolutely. I mean, come on now. Uh, that's the reason why they're on the third or fourth part of the depth chart. But I do also know that that's also how opportunities are made. And I've been on third or fourth on the depth chart before. So, like I said, it's a great opportunity for uh, for those young guys. But definitely, as a fan, somebody going forward, watching the game, watching this season play out, it does give you cause to pause when it comes to being the most optimistic, knowing that you have so many guys that are going to be out due to injury. There was a great cornerback available you know, rapidly on the trade market for some reason. The Patriots decided to move on from Stephon Gilmore. He wants a lot of money. That's the reason. Should the Raiders have gotten involved? And I keep reading, hey, you know what? Uh, Gilmore's a man guy. He doesn't really match the Raiders' scheme. Uh, Explain to the audience the difference between man guy and zone guy. Oh, man. That's like the difference between night and day. Uh, We played a lot of man coverage in uh, my days in Oakland. There was no doubt about that. And playing zone is more so keeping your eyes on the quarterback. You have an area. You don't have a specific man. And there's a different type type of mentality when it goes from man to zone. When you think of a zone corner, you think of guys like Asante Samuel. You think of guys like Richard Sherman. I mean, heck, even the Asante Samuel Jr. for the Los Angeles Chargers. I really enjoyed watching him play early on in his in his early career as a rookie. And I think that because of Stephon Gilmore, in my opinion, still the best cornerback in the league. I don't care what anybody says. He's a man coverage guy. It is a difference. And I can tell you like this, back in 2011, after Al Pass, God rest his soul, that's when everybody in the organization started wanting to flex their own muscle. That's when everybody started wanting to do their own thing. And I distinctly remember how we went from a lot of man coverage the first couple games of the year, and then as soon as Al passed, our coaches started doing what they wanted to do. <laughs> so we went to a lot more zone coverage. But the thing was, there wasn't a training. I'm sorry, there wasn't an off season that year. It was a lock. It was a uh, it was a lockout year. So we didn't start until training camp. We didn't get the OTAs. We didn't get the mini camps. We didn't get things like that. So we're going to this zone coverage, not because anybody can't do it. We just want on the same page. 
So man coverage and zone coverage, two different things. Man coverage from a more physical standpoint, can you run? Can you jump? Do you have the foot movement to go ahead and match uh, steps, plant, uh, plant steps, step for step with a receiver? Zone coverage, everybody's got to be on the same page. Whenever receivers give us a scissors concept, are we both going to go with our man or are we going to still stay in zone at all, things like that? That takes a lot more preparation. you got to have a lot more work in the offseason so you can understand and, and trust each other in the back end. So definitely is a huge difference when it comes to just the methodical aspect of it, the technical aspect of it, and being able to go ahead and put those two together on Sundays. We're getting ready for the Bears in Vegas against the Raiders. So we're talking to Stanford Route, the former Oakland Raider. He played uh, in the defensive backfield. I'm going to lean on you, though, for something you just talked about, you know, in-season changes, adjustments. Tell me if I'm crazy here. I know they're moving Alex Leatherwood inside from right tackle to right guard. I... I think versatile linemen, those who are versatile, actually can make that move, and it's not a gigantic move. Am I underselling this? From an athletic standpoint, obviously anybody on the offensive line can play any position. Like Even tackles can play center, for crying out loud. But it's all about comfort. And whenever you have somebody that's used to having a certain pass set from a certain position for a number of years, and then all of a sudden – at the drop of a dime, you go ahead and you switch them. It's a big difference just from a comfort level. I'll go ahead and I'll use even myself at certain uh, points in my career. Uh, I usually always played left corner, but there were times I'd have to go and play right corner. And whenever you do that so much, you get fixated in that role, in that world. And so just from going from left corner to right corner, that's like – a huge difference because it's all about the view, the vantage point that you're actually seeing the quarterback, the offense. So even though from an athletic standpoint, anybody can go ahead and make the switch is just from a comfort level. And once you get to this level in the NFL, everybody's a perfectionist. Everybody is at the top of their game. Everybody's elite. That's why they're in the NFL. So it's something you've been doing for a number of years. And then now all of a sudden at the flip of the switch, go ahead and, uh, and switch to something else it does take its time, and you got to have go, got to go through your growing pains. Not because you can't do it; you're just not used to it yet. Who do you think is going to win this game, Bears or Raiders? Oh uh, man, I'll tell you this: the Raiders better win this game, just because you're going against a rookie quarterback with Justin Fields. You're going against an offense that's a little bit more on the pedestrian side, as opposed to what you just had to go and face with the Los Angeles Chargers. And I think that when you look at how Denver, they're still doing well. Kansas City is not going to disappear. They're going to come back around, even though they got Buffalo this week. And then you go and you look at uh, you look at uh, uh you, you look at uh, I'm sorry, the other team uh, the Chargers. <laughs> they just they just beat us. You definitely got to win this game if you want to go ahead and stay atop of the AFC West. Stanford Rattle, let's bounce around the league a little bit to some of the big stories. I mean, it's been a mess all week long for Urban Meyer. A couple of things oh, on this. Man. Have you ever heard of an NFL coach saying, you know what, I'm not going to fly back with the team? And then what kind of effect could it have on the locker room? Could they just come out this week and lay a total freaking egg, the Jaguars? They very well could. And I say that because as a player, you're 0-4. You have a rookie head coach. And we all know how Urban Meyer entered the Jacksonville Jaguars organization, signing uh, Doyle um, from Iowa. We all know about the accusations going on up there. Once the media got hold of it, all of a sudden, it becomes a tire fire. They decide to go ahead and let him go after a couple of days. Then we see the signing of Tim Tebow. Not everybody exactly applauded that, to say the least. 
So that's something that Urban Meyer had to deal with himself. And then guess what? He decides to go ahead and cut Tim Tebow around week two, week three of the preseason. Coaches don't even like it when players don't fly back with the team. And the only guys who get that sort of a nod are the veterans, the guys who you know they're good leaders. They're not going to do anything stupid while they're away from the team. Uh, Guys who are pro bowlers, guys you know you trust. So for the coach to not fly back with the team, that is something that will definitely resonate within that locker room. There's no doubt about that. And I think what Urban Meyer has to understand is that you're a fantastic college coach, Utah, Florida, Ohio State, Great numbers, no doubt about that. National championship winning coach. But from an NFL player standpoint, you're a rookie. And you're an 0-4 rookie. <laughs> so that's the equivalent of being a, a rookie player that's not even a starter. You're just like running around on special teams every weekend. Or you're on practice squad. Urban Meyer's got to prove himself. And that's not the best way to prove yourself now. Like I said, everything that happened in the bar that he apparently owns with the girl – dancing on him in the picture, the video, whatever. That's between him, his wife, and his family. So notice I'm not even getting into that. But the simple fact that we're 0-4 and you decide to stay back with your college friends, so to speak, that right there, that's not gonna uh that's not something that's gonna go over well with a lot of players because we all know that one kid that leaves high school, he's in college, he decides he wants to go back to his former high school, hang out with some of his high school buddies, and it's like, hey bud, you know, you're in, you're in college now. You're not in high school anymore. Yep. Or that college kid who goes to the NFL or leaves college, he graduates, and he decides to still go back to college, go hang out with his college buddies in the dorms. And, you know, your new coworkers are like, hey, bud, you're in, you're professional now. You're not in college. So stop running back to go see them. So on, on, an, on a myriad of levels, that's something that's definitely not going to uh, be taken, should I say positively by a lot of guys in that locker room, just because man, we're 0 and 4 and here you are going to go run back to your, your college buddies. Like, dude, you got to leave that alone and you got to go ahead and just ride with us. Literally ride with us just because it's just a bad look. And then when you factor on everything that happened while he was still in Ohio over the weekend, that's just adds insult to injury. Stanford route is up on his Friday spot on Cofield and company. So uh, let's talk about one of the other games in the division before we get you out of here. And that is the chargers against the Browns. I don't know if you ever had a torn labrum. I heard some people talking on radio about it, former quarterbacks. Um, it sounds like a painful injury and yeah, it's Baker Mayfield's non-throwing shoulder, but guess what? When you throw, you still have to throw the left side of your body in motion I mean, how debilitating could this be, not only short-term, but especially long-term? Uh, I, 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 like I said, I'm not no quarterback, so I guess, so I got to watch, choose my words carefully. Dr. Dr. Rout, Dr. Cofield and Dr. Rout on the torn labrum. Um, but I would imagine that, like I said, it's got to be some pain to have a torn labrum. I think uh, the one thing I will say is whenever you're a quarterback and you're the leader of the franchise, you're the face of the franchise, and especially when you want to get that long-term deal like a Josh Allen – or like a Pat Mahomes, you got to play through that. If it's not on your throwing arm, you're going to receive a certain level of empathy from a lot of people, but you are not necessarily going to seem to receive a lot of care from a lot of people because, hey, man, it's football. It's a tough game. It's not your throwing shoulder. Yes, you're going to be in some pain, but you know what? You better get out there. You better find a way to tough it out, and you better slang that pill. Or you better go ahead and hand it off to Kareem Hunt and, uh, and Chubb and all those boys and find a way to get it done because you look at other guys, they have certain alien injuries. You look at Phillip Rivers. Phillip Rivers played in the AFC Championship game in 2007 with apparently a torn ACL. 
or torn MCL or something like that. So you got to find a way to push through. It's definitely not going to be something that you're going to, uh, that's, that's going to be a great feeling. It's not going to be a cakewalk, but as the leader of the franchise, the face of the franchise, the quarterback, you got to find a way to push through, assuming saying that it's not on your throwing shoulder. And on the other side, you know, we talk about Mayfield maybe not being 100% uh, physically. Uh, the rest of the Browns, Miles Garrett's dinged up, but they're, they play a physical game, the Browns. So this, I know the Chargers have now beaten the Raiders and the Chiefs, but this may be the most physical team they've played. They're going to they're gonna get it from that Browns defense. So this is another big test for Herbert. No doubt about it. And Justin Herbert is one of the top young quarterbacks, one of my most favorite uh, young players in this league. Big, strong Big, strong arm, can make all the throws. He's semi-mobile. Uh, I love his tenacity. I love the way he's able to look off players, as you saw during the telecast on Monday night, where his his helmet is facing one way, but his eyes, he's going ahead, he's peripherating the other side. I thought that was fantastic, and I think he's going to be something to deal with in the AFC West for years to come. But I can tell you, I would look for Los Angeles to go ahead and pull out this game against Cleveland because I don't think Baker Mayfield can go toe-to-toe blow for blow with a Justin Herbert, healthy, less than with a torn labrum. So I think that if it becomes a shootout where the Chargers are able to go ahead and put up some points, let's say 25-plus, I wonder can Baker Mayfield match him blow for blow like a 12-round boxing match that you're going to see later on in Vegas Saturday night. That's right. Yeah, you got Fury, uh, Fury and Wilder going on. Uh, last thing, uh, your Cougars won again. They actually, I think they're surprising to people, rolling out to what it – is a 5-1 and one record, uh, they could be one of those dangerous teams that gets in the way of Cincinnati getting to the college football playoff. They very well could be, and I hope that they do. But, uh, man, I sit up here watching Cincinnati, watching them do what they did to Notre Dame last week. Like I said, I, I, I optimistically um, have my doubts about them going against Cincinnati. Man, they're a good team. No doubt about that. I would love to see my Cougars go ahead and win the American Athletic Conference, but I do know that that is a tall task. You got SMU good team. You got Cincinnati, good team. And then also just within that conference, there's so many teams that you can be better than, but if you come out the gate Saturday afternoon, a little bit slow, a little bit sluggish, they'll go ahead, get up on you 17, 10, 10, three, something like that. And then it's just, it's daunting of a task to go ahead and try to run them, run them down the final two quarters. So anybody could be beating that conference, but Cincinnati definitely is the cream of the crop. And hopefully my Houston Cougars can go ahead and keep ascending and they can be right up there with them. Stanford. Great spot. We'll talk to you. All right, cool, man. Be good. Talk to you next week. That's Stanford route. The former Oakland Raider joins us every Friday. His spot is brought to you by Justin Watkins and Battleborn Injury Lawyers. Give Justin or Matt Hoffman a call now, 570-9000, for some clarity about what you have on your policy with your auto insurance. Full coverage, right? What does it actually mean? The guys can explain to you what the deal is with full coverage if you actually have it. Because if you don't, you could be out of pocket for medical expenses, property damage, or even car payments for an accident that you did not cause. You may think you're protected, but you may not be. So give the guys at Battleborn Injury Lawyers a call. It's free, 570 570- 9000 and make sure you're fully covered with your auto insurance. It's Battleborn Injury Lawyers 5709000. The crew over at Finley Toyota speak Spanish, Thai, and even Persian. In fact, they speak 14 different languages. Come in and talk the universal language of big savings today. <laughs> Cofield and company. You know, the locker room here 
is the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. I mean, you can't see anybody. It's like a maze. Whoever contorted this visiting locker room, I'd like to meet this guy and see what his, um, what his idea was. John Gruden, entertaining guy to cover. Says some weird things, but uh, one of the weirdest we've come across is this story that came out uh, in the 1 o'clock hour. Bizarro. Football team being investigated for uh, workplace issues, and someone found an email from 10 years ago, and uh, Bruce Allen, Gruden's buddy, they exchanged an email, and on the email, if you haven't seen it yet, he was going after DeMora Smith, head of the NFLPA, he called him, uh, Dumb Morris Smith has lips the size of Michelin tires. Uh, I've been reading reaction to this, and like on uh, a recent Adam Hill tweet, uh, someone said, uh, was talking about AB, said if AB is allowed to play, then Gruden calling a guy a liar in a way that sounded racist. In a way. Okay. Shouldn't receive any punishment. So obviously there's a swift pushback on this from a lot of Raiders fans or a lot of other people who are incensed. The NFL sounds like it's pissed off. I'm not sure on Mark Davis. He said they were reviewing it. There's a lot to get into. Adam Hill's on top of the story. Not what we expected on a Friday, Adam. Uh, not what we expected. Wanted to talk about the Bears football game, but here we go. And I know you guys are all over this. So uh, what's the what's the word you're hearing you know, around the NFL and around the Raiders about John Gruden and this old email? Uh, I thought I was coming on to talk about Justin Fields and the right. pass exactly. rush going yeah. against him. Yeah. Yeah. The game Hicks going to play. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's been a crazy day here. I'm still at the facility right now. Um, it's been bizarre, certainly. Uh, just kind of looking for more news. I think first reaction is, wow, that looks really, really bad, obviously, uh, when you see a statement like that. Um, I've had a lot of people push back and say, hey, why are, why are they bringing this out now? It's 10 years ago. You, you referenced it, though. This is an investigation that just took place of the Washington football team, an internal investigation. The email was found in the course of that investigation. So this is not like somebody sat on this for 10 years. Uh, this was just found. It just came out. Um, and I think the biggest thing is what is next, right? I mean, this statement I think you can look at and say, wow, that was a really, really bad mistake. That's a, a clearly racist trope. It was an awful thing to say. Um, but I think you can get away with the, hey, it was 10 years ago. We've moved on. I've apologized to the players. I think that all works. Uh, as much as I'm, you know, horrified by it, and uh, I think it's it's gross. Um, I think in the grand scheme of things, that probably is something that blows over. The question is, what happens next, right? Everyone now has a platform, uh, especially when John Gruden says things like, you know, I don't have a racist bone in my body, and I've proved that for 58 years. Well, this is now an open door for anybody that knows anything, or has heard anything, or seen anything to come out. And I think that's the next step. That's what we wait for. Does anything come out over the next couple of days now that people have this kind of open invitation uh, to come out and say what they know? Right. And the Raiders statement uh, included this part, and I saw you tweet it, and this is you know something to think about. You said, key part of the statement, quote, uh, Davis was given uh, this along with other materials provided to us today by the NFL. Well, what are the other materials? More emails? I'd be very interested to know. Um, as you said, I, as soon as I saw the statement and I saw people reacting to it and um, you know making their own comments on it, but I've, I focused in on those words, other materials. What is there? I mean, is that materials that say, hey, here's 200 other emails he sent without anything that was remotely you know, racist or you know, any, any, any way problematic? 
Um, or is there other materials that would show a pattern of behavior? I think that's a, a key question. That's something to look at. Of, you know, and again, that's all part of what is next. And I thought that provided other materials by the NFL over the course of this investigation is very, very interesting, uh, and something that we're going to be monitoring over, you know, certainly the next couple of days and weeks. And you know, my my biggest, you know, I guess uh, the thing I want most right now is to hear from the players. And and I have no idea what they'll say publicly. I feel like they're probably going to offer full endorsements of Gruden and say, you know, all that matters is how he treats us, and he's been nothing but respectful. And um, I expect that to be the case, but um, I, I do want to hear from some of the players and how they feel. I think that's the most important thing right now. I mean, this is a guy that coaches a team that has, you know, 36 African-American players out of 53 on the roster. That's just the main roster. Um, how do they feel? How was it received? Uh, we were told that he had a meeting this morning with the players and said, hey, this story's coming out, just so you know. This is how I feel about it. And this is, you know, my apology or however he addressed the team. But we were told that, that the team was told this morning before the story ever hit. So how do they react and how do they respond? That's that's a, a key part of this story as well. Adam, to jump back to something you said a moment ago, that you think that there's a, a world in which or a possibility that on its own this blows over. And I, I'm not trying to question your your read on that. I'm really just trying to understand why you think that might be the case because it, it certainly feels like on the surface that what he said is going to be a really hard thing for anybody to work around. It is, but I mean, I, I think this is what we've seen over time, right? I mean... I'm not saying I'm okay with it. I'm not saying that anybody should be okay with it. Uh, it's just one of those. It's one of those things that we've kind of seen develop, where the first thing that comes out, unless it's extremely over the top, and I do think this is over the top, but unless it's like the the most horrific and vile of things, I think the first one, especially when it's ten years old, and again, not that that should matter, but you know, that's one of the things that people are saying. Hey, it's ten years ago. You've changed, or whatever you want to say. Like, the first case can often be overlooked isn't the right word, and, and I'm not saying forgiven. Like, none of the, I'm not saying those things. I'm saying to avoid, like, being fired. I think you can do that with one statement that was 10 years ago, and you can try to move through it. But it, it's what comes next. It's the second and the third and the fourth comment that come out, and, and where it comes out from, right? I know there's a former linebacker in the NFL who has been at war with the NFL for a couple of years, who, by the way, had his own homophobic uh, slurs that he said on Twitter, um, and somebody who has been kind of at war with, with John's brother Jay and the NFL in general, um, a former player in the NFL who tweeted right away, like, I've been saying John Gruden's racist for a long time. Why did it take this email for you guys to, to understand that? Well, there's an ax to grind there, right? Like, I don't know if we take that at face value. But if other people around the league start saying the same kind of things, then you're going to have an issue. And, and if they don't, I think that's something to, you know, to fall back on if you're John Gruden to say, listen, I've coached, you know, predominantly African-American teams for two decades in this league and been around, you know, people of different cultures. Not one other person has said anything untoward about me. I mean, I think that is something that you hang your hat on if, if, you, if nothing else comes out and nothing else happens from this. But I think that's why we have to kind of look uh, over the next couple of days and weeks, and, and who else speaks out? Who else has things to say? You know, Adam, I, I kind of think about it like we would never look at something like, and I'm going to use an extreme example here, a, a rape or a murder or a robbery that happened 10 years ago and say, well, you know, it happened 10 years ago. Now, saying right. something racist, um, you know, in the eyes of the law does not 
rise to that level. But at the same time, the standard isn't a legal standard we're talking about here. The standard is public pressure. The standard is, uh, you know, what the Raiders organization thinks it can live with and what the NFL thinks it can live with. And so I'm curious if, what you think about from the NFL's perspective, because they uh, coming off the Black Lives Matter guided, uh, you know, end zone messages and things on the helmets that they've printed and so on and so on. They've kind of stuck their neck out there along with the movement in a way that would feel like, can they suffer this? Can they get away with this? Or do you think that the NFL will apply more pressure to the Raiders to do something? Yeah, I think it's 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 an interesting part of this also to, to just, you know, extend the point there that, you know, John Gruden did not work for the Raiders or in the NFL at the time. Uh, of the statement. And so I, I think that the NFL will still have some kind of power and something to say, uh, but my thought would be maybe behind the scenes you would see the NFL work to get the Raiders to do something, um, to, to get the NFL to say, hey, listen, Raiders, you have to make the suspension here. It's kind of ugly if it's you know an ESPN employee making a comment uh, who was an ESPN employee at the time uh, and then us doing the discipline. So I, I'm sure the NFL has the authority and can do something, but I think they would try to do it through the team. But I, I think you're right. I mean, this is this is a league that has fully embraced um, a a message that I think is a good message and one that they should be embracing and should be part of. But now you've got somebody that is you know that works in your league that is a very prominent figure that's been around for a long time that is the face of one of your you know most illustrious franchises if you want to say that and. Um, one of the more popular figures among coaches, and, and he has this to say. So how do you handle it? I think it's a, a huge challenge for the NFL uh, to to figure out how to do the right thing here. And I'm, I'm sure there's people in New York right now that are uh, hard at work and, and trying to get the right messaging, but this shouldn't be about messaging. It should be about, you know, what you know what was said and what the what the reaction is and what the feelings are of the people that are, you know, you know, tasked to work with him every day that do come from a different background and we'll see what their feelings are. I, I you know, I've talked to a couple of people today that, you know, are African American and they've had very, very divergent views of what was said. So, um, I don't think we can also just say like, you know, all, you know, all black people are going to be mad or all black people are going to forgive them. Like everybody's, you know, everybody has their own thoughts and their own opinions. And this is, it's going to be a very tricky situation for the NFL to try to deal with. Adam Hill is with us. Of course, part of the company covers the Raiders for the RJ. We were talking about uh, an old email that the Wall Street Journal uh, found. It was really found in an investigation into uh, the Washington football team. It was an email sent to Bruce Allen, and Gruden was – he says he was mad at the Morris Smith, the head of the NFLPA, and he wrote, the Allen dumb Morris Smith has lips the size of Michelin tires. So Gruden's in hot water. I want to pull back the curtain here. Uh, of the media uh, NFL relationship. So I found it interesting that John Gruden said he was alert. Check that. Mark Davis was alerted last night by a reporter about this. Gruden spoke to the players this morning before the story came out. How does all this work? And why wouldn't the Raiders last night just go, you know what, let's get out in front of it. Let's have us put out the email uh, along with the apology. How does all this work? Maybe they should have. I mean, the reason that they heard about it is because that's that's good journalism, right? You call, you have to call and, and tell them, hey, this is what we're putting out. This is our story. Do you have a comment on it? You have to give them an opportunity to comment. And so that's why they heard about it, because they reached out to the Raiders last night. They were ready to publish, and they said, hey, you know, this is our story. This is what we have. This is our evidence of it. Um, obviously, you don't reveal sources and things like that, but you say, here's the story that's going to go out. What do you want to say about it? 
And I'm sure what the Raiders did is said, hey, give us, you know, give us till tomorrow afternoon, give us 12 hours. We're going to make a determination if we want to say anything or if we want to comment. Uh, but that's how it's, it's, it's not, it's not like they're working together to put it out anything like that. I've, I've seen some well, people talking well, about let that. Me, let, me ask you, let me ask you a question. Why would the Wall Street Journal wait until after John Gruden spoke to you guys today, right? Yeah, I think that's I think that's selfish on their part. Not selfish. Uh, that's not the right word. They're they're doing. They did that. They didn't want us to be the first ones to be able to ask and get comments. Right? Like that's them. That's them protecting their story from us getting comments on it. Um, I, I my feeling, my guess is that they had the story and they were watching the presser. And as soon as John Gruden walked off the podium, they hit send. Uh, I would imagine that that's how they handled that. All right. A lot I can say on that one, but. I'll keep it to myself for now. All right, so what happens? Gruden's coaching on Sunday? Yeah, I think he's coaching this Sunday. Um, is he coaching next Sunday? I think that's a bigger question. Um, we'll see. Again, I, I think I think there's going to be time here to, to kind of process it and figure it out. And, 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 and you know, I, I keep saying it. Like I'm not saying that this is not a massive deal. It is. Um, I, I, I hope that that's not what's coming across. But what's next is even bigger. Um, what what is what else comes out? Who else has something to say? Who else has heard something? That's the next step, and I think you give it a couple of days. But you you don't want, you know, not that it's the same situation, but you don't want the Ray Rice scenario, right? Where you say, you know what, that was awful, uh, it was inexcusable. We're going to give you a two game suspension, and they give him a two game suspension, and then you know, at the end of the two game suspension, he comes back, and then there's a hundred people that come out with emails with far even worse things. Like, I don't, it it can't get that much worse, but you know, there's even four far more vile language. Like you don't want that. You want to have the situation play out kind of before you make a full determination. So they'll give it a couple of days. I think, I think you'll see him coach Sunday. And then after that, uh, a lot will determine, uh, a lot will be determined by what else we learn. All right, Adam, thanks for carving out some time. Did you and Ed do a podcast on this? We did. It is out. Okay. Where can people find that? Uh, Vegas Nation, ReviewJournal.com, anywhere you find your podcasts, you know, whatever uh, format you use on your, on your phone or your computer. There you go. Damn, I lobbed you a softball. I expected you to romp it out of the park, and you, you, you locked up there. You froze up. Well, I was going to say I use Podcast Addict, but I don't think a lot of people use that. So, <laughs> you know, wherever you get your podcast. Thanks, Adam. Yep. All right, Adam Hill, part of the company. Adam Candy is here today. Adam, on the way back, i got a couple of gambling questions for you, and then we're going to break down a lot of these games in the 5 o'clock hour, including the, uh, the stuff on the football field with the Bears and the Raiders. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Time for Trace Trends, and we focus in on an NFC West matchup. The Niners are at Arizona with the cards giving four to start the week. Now, if you're that guy who's loudly proclaiming you knew Arizona would be the last unbeaten team in the NFL, show me the slip or sit this one out, Shane. Go f*** yourself, Shane. Before the start of the season, the Cardinals were 50-1 to on the Caesar Sportsbook to be the league's last unbeaten team. Is Arizona Super Bowl bound for a second time in franchise history? Maybe? The Cardinals were only the sixth team in NFL history to start a season 4-0 with at least 400 yards of offense in each game. Each of the previous four teams to do that went on to play in the Super Bowl. It's Cofield and Company's Eye on Sports Betting on ESPN Las Vegas. There you do. There you go. Newest gambling expert into the space, Trey Wingo. Working with Caesars and William Hill. Maybe the Cardinals are for real and are bound for a... Super Bowl. We'll get to our predictions on a lot of these games in the 5 o'clock hour. Candy, your regular job, you are knee-deep in this gambling stuff, so we found a couple of stories today I wanted you to uh, make a quick comment on. Uh, I don't know if you saw it, but uh, hometown hero Pete Rose 
is now in the gambling space. He'll be giving advice and maybe picks for all sports. Very cool. He's now in the gambling space. Well, that's an interesting way to look at it. He's cashing in in the gambling space. Yeah, I feel like Pete Rose was uh, an unintentional pioneer. I was going to uh, say in yes. The gambling space. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> look, that's the one thing that spans the pre-legal sports betting era in the U.S. and the post-legal sports betting era in the U.S. is that it was never okay what Pete Rose did, and it will never be okay uh, what Pete Rose did. And you know what? If people still want the opinions of the hit king, go for it. Yeah. Like, go for it. Seriously. Like, if there, if there are those people who still have the nostalgia to want to hear from Pete Rose, they, they want to show up when he's over at the forum shops, you know, sitting like a mannequin at a folding table waiting for you to come sign autographs, Good on you. That's you. I, I I I have so little room for outrage about it. So I need a little advice from you because you uh, you know all about all these states and and uh, that are adding sports gambling to the docket, and some of them are a lot slower than others. Uh, I'm going to hit Louisiana, New Orleans for a couple of days, and I want to bet, but apparently they're not completely online yet. Although I saw like midweek one parish, like one location, is taking sports bets. So what's the overall deal with Louisiana and sports betting? Yeah, it's not even so much as that one county or one parish. Basically, right now, there is one tribal casino uh, okay. in the state of Louisiana that is taking sports bets. So unless you're going to convince the SO that you are so desperate for a hit that <laughs> hit. you guys need to take the drive out to Paragon, uh, I don't believe that you're going to want to get involved in this because they're not starting their mobile sports betting, the apps that we have here and elsewhere, uh, for at least a few weeks. Fine. Um, I read something, again, I don't want to put you on the spot because there's so many different rules in each state. Do they have any kind of special taxes on sports betting? Um, uh, the, the way I'll tell you, the way I read it, I was like, wait, am I being taxed? Like, there's, there's, Is there ever a case where the player is being taxed? Let's see. A 10% tax will be collected on wagering at on-site locations, a 15% tax on wagering through mobile apps and electronic devices. That's the, that's the operator, not the player, right? Yeah, so think about it this way. You're never going to pay that tax in terms of, oh, I want to bet right. $10 and the tax is going to make it 11 right. No, you're going to pay that price if you ever pay that price in how the bet is priced. Yep. That's how it comes back to you from the casino. So that's why we look at a state like Nevada where the tax rate is six and three quarters and you feel like, okay, you're getting competitive prices from most of the sports books in town. Uh, you don't look at it when it's in Pennsylvania and the tax rate is closer to 36% and say, uh, yeah, I'm definitely getting a fair shake from everyone. <laughs> so it's like any other tax out there. It's going to get passed down to you in the long run. So that's why you look at Louisiana. They're, they're fairly reasonable. They're kind of in the middle of, of where they set up their their taxes to try to make some money off legal sports betting. So does that is that a legit excuse when we're seeing 20 and 30 cent lines? No. Okay. Come on now. But I, hope, I was. Now. I. I don't no, know if you were suggesting I, I, that. I'll give you a better like, one. We're paying it that way. Like twenty and thirty cent lines suck, and they're unbettable. They're absolutely unbettable. And here's the thing: if you're someone who was already betting with an offshore like a Bovada, then you see twenty and thirty cent lines, and you're not going anywhere. You're going to stay right where you are. Um, but now you look at a state like Tennessee. Here's one that came up this week. Here's a story that you have to hear to believe. They came up with their own rule that requires all of the sports books to hold at least 10% on, what? on everything. What? They, they're trying to require the hold. Now, if you don't know, what? sports books in Nevada, over the course of decades, you average it out, they've won a little more than 5% monthly 
on average. Yep. And the Tennessee sports books are basically saying, yeah, figure out a way to hold 10%. That's the minimum or else uh, there are going to be fines and penalties and blah, blah, blah. And finally, the sports books, after like a year, spoke up and said, uh, this is ridiculous. Right. And we're going to have to start offering awful bets or just offering less markets like ones that we know that we can't win as much on. Yeah, the hold is their win. So basically... I don't think they could take straight bets, or the lines would have to be ridiculous. It would be mostly a parlay state. Well, uh, there's another discussion to be had about that, about is it a parlay state when um, the country writ large, you've seen the ads, the ads for DraftKings Sportsbook. Who is it? Uh, Martin Lawrence? Hip, hip, hip parlay? Come on now, man. They're trying to push everybody into parlays as though they don't understand, and a lot of them don't, that you don't win parlays very often. So that the backlash is coming on that one, Steve. The backlash is coming to everybody getting pushed into bets they can't win. Stick around. Cofield and Company returns in minutes in the Finley Toyota Studios.